I'm entitling these coming services, Passion for the Holy Spirit. Passion for the Holy Spirit. We don't want to just be intellectually acquainted and theologically we know information about the Holy Spirit. No, no. We want a passion for intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because church, he's actually on this earth as our best friend. Everyone say, my best friend on the earth is the Holy Spirit. The Father is in heaven. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit is on earth. And he longs to be my best friend. I want you to know that about the Holy Spirit. He is longing for intimacy with you. And the only thing stopping that intimacy is our own longing. We have to ask ourselves, do we long for intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Are we as passionate about knowing Him intimately as we are about anything else? Or are we more passionate about knowing Him than anything else in our life? Because it will take passion for the Holy Spirit for us to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That is revelation knowledge. This knowledge of the resurrection power of Christ is revelation knowledge. And church, it is only granted, to, it's granted by God through the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit to those who are passionate. And so this desire to know the Holy Spirit intimately is so crucial. Joel 2.29, God promised many years ago, oh so many, hundreds of years ago, on my men's servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this is a promise from the Father that was not fulfilled in the Old Covenant. Now you don't want to miss the coming Sundays because we're going to be digging into the Holy Spirit. Who He is so that we might become much more intimately acquainted with Him. What He does, we need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and how He desires to change our lives. Because church, the Holy Spirit was not sent for everything to remain the same. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, the potential for every man's life to be dramatically changed and even, may I say, for us to live in days of heaven on earth, abundant life, 
as God lives it in heaven. Church, we're supposed to pray, may it be on earth, even as it is in heaven. How can that possibly be so? It's by the power, the presence, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it can become so for those who are passionate to know him. I want you to put your hands on your heart. And I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I am passionate to know you. But I'm going to become more passionate, even more passionate than I am right now. Church, he's revealed to those who long to know him. Now, in these days of the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon men. He did not reside in men, and he did not stay. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, did not stay upon men, but he would come upon the prophet, the priest, and the king for specific types of ministry, and he would occasionally come upon men in the old covenant to do a special work of God, but he did not abide upon men. It was upon a select few that were chosen for the purposes of God. But Joel, God said in Joel 2.29, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Where, what are those days? Church, those days are the days that have been since the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, I could say in the new covenant days, the Holy Spirit is available to be poured out upon every man, every woman, every child who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're living in those days, and God did fulfill His promise made in Joel 2 and verse 29 on the day of Pentecost. Church Pentecost is a very significant moed or divine appointment where God wishes to meet with his people for special celebration of the work of Jesus Christ while he was upon the earth and the release of divine wisdom and revelation and the release of divine blessings upon his people. It is always beneficial for the people of God to understand God's ways, God's calendar, his timing, and the fact that he continues to pour out his spirit. We're in those days and God is pouring out of his spirit. It is celebrated 50 days after Resurrection Sunday. Pentecost is the Gentile Greek word for 
the 50 days following Resurrection Sunday. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, Shavuot, or Feast of Weeks, and it is a harvest celebration. Jesus had previously told the disciples that the heavenly plan of God for them, that God had a gift for them. God had a promise that he had made for them. And Jesus told them of this heavenly plan. Now, church, they couldn't comprehend it. They didn't have any idea of what Jesus was talking about. And we are still comprehending it. That's why we celebrate Pentecost over and over again. There's always more for us to comprehend than we know right now. And in John 14, 26, in the Amplified Bible, Jesus said to them, but the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things. And he will help you remember everything that I have told you. In other words, very soon, Jesus' earthly mission would be completed. He would be crucified on the cross of Calvary. Calvary. He would be buried in uh, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He would be resurrected from the dead. And uh, church, the disciples didn't understand all of that, but he was preparing them for his departure. And he was telling them, when I go, I'm going to ask the Father to send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Church, that word in the Greek is parakletos. Everyone say parakletos. See, you're speaking Greek. And it is translated helper or comforter. But let me tell you what it literally means. The Holy Spirit, our helper, is literally the one called alongside to help. In other words, church, we have someone from heaven who has been sent to walk with us, to help us in our earthly journey. We're not in this life alone. The Father sent the Holy Spirit. Then after his crucifixion and resurrection, in Luke 24 and verse 49, in the Passion Translation, Jesus spoke to the disciples again. And he said, and I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. Now, what promise was that? It was Joel 2.29, that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, not just the prophet, not just the priest, not just the king, or a few select 
men who were chosen for special acts of power in the old covenant. No, Jesus said, I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city that's in Jerusalem until, I like the way this says this, the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Oh my goodness. The mighty, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the mighty power of heaven. The promise of the Father that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh in those days. It was not yet when Joel 2.29 was given. But in the day of Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. The mighty power of heaven has come. So the Father promised that the Holy Spirit would live among his people and empower his people to do the work of the ministry. In other words, the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. None of us without the power of the Holy Spirit can do God's will for our lives. It takes this mighty power from heaven to fall upon us and wrap around us and to walk with us and be in us and grant us the anointing of God to do the will of uh, that the Father has assigned to us. Church, we're called to go to spread the gospel and to evangelize our generation. We're not just called to be saved. Now, it is the Father's loving will for every one of us to be saved, but the will of heaven is so much greater than just our being saved. Pentecost is a celebration of bearing fruit. Pentecost is about our fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. It is about having living fruitful lives that bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it should be visible to others that we know God and we walk with God because our lives are fruitful in the things of God. How do we become fruitful? Church, we cannot be fruitful without the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we're, uh, the Holy Spirit has come to live among us, to be in us, and empower us to spread the gospel. It's very uh, important that we understand that large purpose because, you know, some people think the Holy Spirit is just to give them goosebumps or to cause the hair to stand up on the back of their head or maybe to dance a little or, or sing more lively than other people sing. Well, church, all of that is a result of being energized by the Holy Spirit, but it's not the major purpose 
of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is present among us to bless us and strengthen us and work in us. But do you know the Holy Spirit is here to equip us? Oh, how important that is to understand. Every time you're with the Holy Spirit, He will equip His people to do the work of the ministry. He will empower us to do what we cannot possibly do in our flesh. Church, you're awfully quiet today. If you're out there, somebody say amen. amen. Where the Holy Spirit was sent, not just for our lives personally, although certainly the Holy Spirit was sent that we might be blessed. But church, we want the larger picture in our understanding that the Holy Spirit was sent to empower God's people to go into all the world and take the gospel to the lost. Let's read, begin reading. There's so much, but you just have to narrow it down. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 1. In verse 1, we're going to do some reading of Scripture because everything we believe, church, must be based on the Word of God for it to have power in our lives. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, both to do and to teach. This is Luke writing, the Apostle Luke, Dr. Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Stay right there for a moment. See, Jesus had been crucified, dead, and buried. All their hopes that he would deliver them from Roman rule were went bit the dust. But then he was resurrected from the dead. And he walked among them. He ate with them. And he told them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, but they still had a very carnal view of life. And so they're still asking him, will you now restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, will you deliver us? from Roman occupation. Verse 7, 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, church, that doesn't mean we don't know any times or any seasons, but the time for establishing the kingdom of God on earth is known only to the Father. Verse 8, but here's Jesus is saying, but here is something I want you to know. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go back to verse 8. In other words, he is saying, the one who is coming, I'm departing, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. Remember John 14 when he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, he's saying here, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but the one who is coming is the Holy Spirit. He is taking my place on the earth. And when he comes, you shall receive power. Church, that is all the power of the kingdom of heaven. That is resurrection power. I mean, the greatest power imaginable is to raise the dead. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's not time yet for the thing you're asking the Father to do, which is to reestablish Israel on earth. The Father has much bigger plans than just to deliver Israel from Roman rule. The Father has a plan to deliver every nation on the earth. The Father has a plan, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all men in every generation. And it will take the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that plan. Church, can you say amen? In other words, the disciples were guilty, just like all of us have been guilty, of thinking only of themselves. But Jesus was telling them, no, 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 it's not the time when God will restore Israel. That's, that's in his knowledge. That's in uh, the supernatural realm of divine wisdom and knowledge. But it is time now for something that the Father has planned for ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. Pay attention to what the Father is desiring to do now. The Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to be poured out upon you and there is a purpose for the Holy Spirit coming. It is so that you will have power to be kingdom of God witnesses to all the people that God will send you to, to all the people that God will cause to cross your path. The Holy Spirit will give you power 
to witness to them about salvation and the kingdom of God. So church, while we receive the Holy Spirit personally, and oh my goodness, I wouldn't even want to be here if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit absolutely does come to us personally. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. The Holy Spirit is present to give God's people abundant life, but there's more. And the more is the power to be witnesses of the kingdom of God wherever God would send us. How important this is. How powerful this is. Now, verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Church, they witnessed a great transition that was taking place upon the earth. But just think about how the disciples felt. After they had witnessed Jesus, they walked with him for three and a half years of his ministry. They witnessed his sufferings. They witnessed his scourging, his crucifixion the terrible, terrible death that he died. They witnessed him being put into the tomb. They thought all was lost at that time. Then, glory be to God, he was resurrected. They were witnesses, eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They knew that he was alive. Oh, you can imagine how their hearts were singing with hope. How, how uh, joyful they were to walk with the resurrected Lord those 40 days and 40 nights that he was upon this, this earth. And then suddenly he departs from them again. He's, while they're watching, while they're looking at him, he is caught up in the air and taken away in a cloud. Of course, this <clears throat> is a prefiguring of the resurrection, the rapture of the saints. But you can imagine what they were thinking. Oh my goodness, he's gone again. We thought he had returned to be with us forever, and now he's gone again. Just think about, church, how they felt. They were leaderless again. I, I even think, church, they were visionless again. They didn't understand what in the world Charles was going on. He was with them. Then he was taken away. He was raised from the dead. He's with them again. And now he's taken away again. You can imagine 
the feelings that were going through all these disciples. So what do you do? Church, I, I just want to say this to you. What do we, even as believers, do when we're filled with uncertainty? Maybe there's uncertainty about the course and direction of our lives or uncertainty about a decision that we need to make. Well, thank God, church, they did the right thing. They were obedient. They remained in Jerusalem. They went to the upper room. Scripture tells us there were 120 of them, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all the apostles were there except Judas, who we know had, had committed suicide. They were obedient to go to the upper room and wait for the promise to be fulfilled. Let's begin reading in Acts 1 and verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now, church, this is so important. They went to the upper room as believers. These are men who have been born again. I want you to understand the two functions of the Holy Spirit. There doesn't have to be a long span of time between them. In fact, they can both happen very quickly. But in their case, in John 20 and verse 22, in the New King James Version, it says Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Church, this breath was the breath of life. It had to do with the new birth, being born again. We're born again supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. This, in John 20, when Jesus breathed on them, was not Pentecost. This was the new birth, the breath of life, just like the Father breathed into Adam uh, and, and Eve. He breathed into them, we're told in the book of Genesis, the breath of life, but they sinned and fell into death. Well, once again, God is breathing on his people, and these men are born again into the kingdom of God. But the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, had to do with empowerment for ministry. So when these 120, by the instruction of Jesus, go to the upper room, I want you to notice they were in one accord. These are major keys 
for a person or a congregation or a nation or a family, however you want to put it, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the major way the enemy keeps us from being filled with the Holy Spirit is with division. Acts 1 and verse 14, they were all in one accord. That means in unity. In unity together. This is a very critical factor in living a spirit-filled life. And I believe it's why some people are not quickly filled with the Holy Spirit. They may be born again, but they have unforgiveness in their hearts. They're fussing and fighting with people. They come forward for prayer time and time and time again, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit because they're not walking in forgiveness in one accord. Church, do you know it takes effort to stay in unity? I'm talking about it takes determination to stay in unity. The easiest thing in the world to do is to fuss and fight. The easiest thing in the world to do is to demand your own way. Easiest thing in the world to do is to be on the outs with this one and you're on the outs with that one and you're fussing over here and you're fighting over there and every single day you're mad at somebody. Do you know being in one accord is the major key, church, for being filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you can't have unforgiveness, anger, strife, bitterness occupying your heart and then say, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. No, we're the people of God. We've been forgiven of our sins and the thing the Father asks us to do is forgive others of their trespasses. Are you with me, church? I'm not getting too many amens on this. Hallelujah. Here's one right back here. One amen. Hallelujah. More amens. Thank you, church, for encouraging me. But I'm giving you a major key for being filled with the Holy Spirit and then living a spirit-filled life. Church, you, you can't spend time in strife with others gossiping about them, on the phone, texting, social media. You, you put it on Facebook, your fight. You put it on Facebook. You, you put it on, I don't know, Instagram. I don't do any of that. But whatever, you're, you know. And it's all out there, and yet we call ourselves Christians. But here's the key. They were in one accord. Now notice, also, let me say this about being in one accord. They were in, they were in unity, in purpose, heart, and mind. In purpose, heart, and mind. They were in the upper room to receive the will of God. Notice also, it says they continued with one accord in prayer. This is another key 
to living a spirit-filled life is we pray. We ask for God to fulfill his promises. And church, this also includes singing our prayers. Many expressions of prayer. And number three, they, they supplicated. They were in prayer and supplication. Now church, supplication is a major attitude of heart. And it involves earnest surrender. Supplication is earnest surrender. It involves humbling yourself. Humility. Not justifying yourself. Humbling yourself. And it involves dedicating yourself to the will of God. Supplicate. You can't supplicate if you're not dedicated to the will of God. Because very often with supplication comes tears. And these are tears of yearning for the will of God to be done not only in your life, but in your church. Not only in your church, but in your family. Not only in your family, but in the nation, or in your school, or in your workplace. The tears involve, church, uh, your surrender, your humility, and your dedication of yourself to the will of God. And then let's read in Acts 2 and verse 1. So they're in the upper room. They're in one accord in prayer and supplication. And they continued in that. We're told it was about 10 days. And on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, I believe this is from the, is it the passion? Passion, okay. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, because church is still being fulfilled. See, it's still being fulfilled because we're still being filled with the Holy Spirit. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. So I think it's helpful to read that this year in a different translation. Church, so much to be said. And a lot of it will get said in the days to come, services that we'll be having. And some of it will have to wait till Pentecost 2020. You, you know, you can't cover everything. I mean, the, the revelation of God, if you just keep digging, he just keeps giving you more. 
So we, we won't cover it all this year, but this is so significant and life transforming. And God so desires for us to have a passion for the Holy Spirit that we must look into it each and every year. So this mighty wind was for power. Just understand the coming of the Holy Spirit was for power to live our lives for Christ and to fulfill the work of Jesus' ministry. In other words, when Jesus breathed on his disciples in John 20, 22, it was for new life. Eternal life was breathed upon them. But this breath, where the, there was a rushing mighty wind, this breath of the Spirit was for power. Everyone say power. Church, it's not necessary for any of us to live our lives as the world lives their lives. God will give us power through his spirit to live for him and to fulfill his will. So the rushing mighty wind was the breath of God releasing the power of heaven to the believer. Secondly, the pillar of fire, go back one, then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. The pillar of fire was the same pillar of fire that was in the book of Exodus that accompanied the children on their 40-year journey through the wilderness. Remember, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's the same pillar of fire that was in the book of Exodus that led the children of Israel from bondage into the promised land. The same pillar of fire manifested here to initiate believers into life in the Holy Spirit. Just like he led them, the pillar of fire led them in the wilderness, the pillar of fire will initiate. It, it brings us into. It causes the reality of life in the Spirit to be ours personally. Each believer has received an overwhelming flame of fire from this pillar of fire. It is as if each and every believer has our own personal pillar of fire. I want you to think about that, church. We're not alone. The disciples thought they were alone as, as they saw Jesus being raised, lifted up in a cloud into heaven after his resurrection. But then when the Holy Spirit was poured out all at once, there was a pillar of fire 
in their midst again. They they knew about this pillar of fire because every Hebrew child knew the story of the wilderness wanderings and the pillar of fire that was with them in that night time, that dark time. Each and every believer had their own personal pillar of fire that would empower them and lead them throughout their life. Church, I want you to know that pillar of fire has come to be with you to the very end. You are not alone. There is a pillar of fire with you. It is the mighty Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is with you. And this was the promise that Jesus gave to the disciples in John 14, 26, when he said, I'm going to send one just like me. Remember when he said that. I'll ask the Father and he'll send one just like me who would be sent by the Father and would never leave them nor forsake them. Church, the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me say this was the birthday of the church. The day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Church, let me say to you today, happy birthday. That was the day, the day of Pentecost, when the church was born in the earth. Hallelujah. Does Pentecost really matter to us today? After all, it happened over 2,000 years ago. Does it really matter to us today? Yes, it matters infinitely. It's the difference between abundant life and living as the world lives. It's the difference between filling your destiny in God and just living without purpose, not even knowing why you're in the earth. Every believer needs the Holy Spirit of God. And church, we need to be intimately acquainted with the Holy Spirit of God to have a spirit-filled inward life and a spirit-filled outward life. God's people were leaderless and visionless until he poured out his spirit upon them, and it changed everything. The Holy Spirit still will change everything today. When he's desired, when he's welcomed, that song, Welcome Holy Spirit, is a song that was sung when I was born again in 1978 and the charismatic renewal. We're still actually in the charismatic renewal, but it was at such a height, the charismatic renewal. And there were things that were being taught that we had never, ever heard of before. And the Holy Spirit came into my life and changed totally change the course and direction of it. And you know, he, he will do that for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit, they watch Jesus go up in the cloud, but church, the Holy Spirit has come to be our leader. 
In John 16 and verse 13, the scripture says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, he's come to lead us into the will of God. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, in other words, from the Father, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Jesus promised that he wouldn't leave us as orphans, and he didn't. Through the Holy Spirit, we have the presence and the power of God. Just like when Jesus walked the earth with his disciples, they had the presence and the power of God. John 14, 16 in the Amplified says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. In other words, church, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us alone. The Holy Spirit is not going to leave you alone. The church was born on that first Pentecost day. And church, although we're not perfect, we have in our hands and in our hearts the way of heaven, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out to strengthen us, equip us, and empower us to win our generation for Christ. Yes, he comes to us individually and personally, but he doesn't come to us exclusively. He wants to empower us to win our generation for Christ. So we're going to be flowing in these things for the next several weeks, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just be believing for the outpouring of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our midst so that we can, as a church body, as well as individually, become much more intimately acquainted with the Holy Spirit, receiving wisdom and revelation from heaven. Well, Pastor Carla, aren't you going to talk about speaking in other tongues? Because you really can't talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and not mention something that can be quite controversial for some. In church, I was raised Methodist. And this may not be true for some of you who were raised Methodist, but in the church I was raised in, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit much less praying in other tongues. I can claim to have been thoroughly ignorant. And then when you're born again and you begin hearing of these things, remember I've told you about Miss Scarborough, my crazy neighbor, who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I just thought she was totally off her rocker. And, uh, of course, she's the one that led me into the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I know what that's like to feel this is so foreign and, and it, it's so new because you've never heard it before. But we do want to speak about this because church, the Holy Spirit is a gift from heaven to us. Just like speaking in tongues is a gift from heaven to us. I think it's so easy to begin after some years to take the Holy Spirit for granted. We can even be bored praying in other tongues when it used to be so new and fresh and exciting. But it needn't be that way. The gift of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're celebrating today. And Pentecost is still happening, or it is available to happen in the heart of every believer. But there is a mystery concerned in this. We'll be unwrapping the mysteries of the Holy Spirit as long as we live on earth. In Hebrew, <clears throat> there is a word, matan, M-A-T-A-N, which comes from the word gift. And this means giving. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Receiving the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is not a one-time action. It is, on the one hand, when we receive the Holy Spirit, he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He said, I will be with you to the end. Yet, as that gift keeps pouring out, church, there is continued giving. We don't need to become familiar with the Holy Spirit or, or take the Holy Spirit for granted. Because just understand, this is a gift from heaven and it keeps on giving. It is a part of the Jewish celebration of Shavuot. Referring to the time, this, remember they had Passover happened in Egypt when the death angel passed over them. And then they departed from Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and that's considered to be the first Pentecost when fire came down and God gave Moses, the Torah, the Ten Commandments. In other words, the word was given to men at Mount Sinai. So, and then that, that gift keeps giving. That same word, matan, which means giving, but it comes from the word gift, is used during the Pentecost season. There's a picture here. When the bridegroom 
is preparing for the time he will go to his bride and they shall be joined together. In Hebrew culture, the families would agree that a son and a daughter would be married and they entered into their betrothal. And then the bridegroom would depart and he would go to prepare a place for his bride. And so they would be separated for months while this happened. They might even be separated for years. In other words, it would take a while for the bridegroom to prepare for his bride. And they would miss each other. They would long for each other. So the bridegroom would send his bride a gift during the period of separation to strengthen her. Because you know you can begin to wonder, does he love me anymore? I haven't heard from him in a long time. I think he's forgotten about me. Maybe he's, you know, put his eyes on somebody else. So he would, the bridegroom would send a matana gift to strengthen his bride, to beautify her, and to encourage her that he still loved her and that they would soon be together. That gift was saying, I have not forgotten you, and one day we will be joined together in holy matrimony. Church, our bridegroom is Jesus Christ. How many of you know the church is called the bride of Christ? I remember after Pastor Wade died, this was several months after that. I'm sure I've told you this story. I don't wear jewelry in the house. I don't wear earrings, a watch, nothing. So I would put, uh, it was my custom all through our marriage, I would put my wedding ring on when we would go out. And then when I got home, I'd take earrings off, watch, wedding ring, all of that. I had a place to put it. And so I was getting ready to come to church. This was after his death, some months. And I was, got, had my earrings on. I was putting my wedding ring on. Because church, you still feel married. Even if they're not here, you still feel married. So I was putting my wedding ring on. And, you know, every time I would put it on, I would feel sadness. I would be touched with grief. He's not here. I miss him, so on and so forth. And suddenly, I was putting my wedding ring on, and the Lord said to me, Carla, I looked up. His tone of voice was firm. I need you to understand that Wade is married to me now. I hadn't even thought of that, church. That had never once crossed my mind. I was kind of self-absorbed. And I'll tell you, that was really the beginning of overcoming that grief because our marriage that I was still observing was no more He was married to another. He was married to his Savior, his Lord, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I just want you to remember that. 
Our bridegroom is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter that you're a male. Just understand this. In, in the kingdom of God, there is no male or female. There's just the new creation. So even though you're a male, Jesus is your bridegroom. You know, I, I mean, that's what I realized after I... See, I had never conceived in my thinking that Reverend Porter was the bride of Christ. But anyway, you all think about that. But our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, has sent us the gift above all gifts, the Holy Spirit, to make us beautiful, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to let us know he hasn't forgotten us. To remind us that he still loves us. Even though we don't yet see him, he has not forgotten about us. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is our matan, the gift that heaven has sent us to be with us till the end. In Acts chapter 2, I want you to have this concept. If you get anything today, I want you to have this concept of the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 verse 38, Peter was preaching in Jerusalem and he said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, I want a preciousness to come into each and every one of our hearts in regard to the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a precious gift from heaven. Peter called it the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 10, God sent Peter to the home of Cornelius. In Acts 10.45, in the New Living Translation, it says the Jewish believers, church, remember this, at the beginning of the church, all the believers were Jewish. Every believer was Jewish then, except Luke. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Oh my goodness. They could hardly believe it. They thought the Holy Spirit was just for them. But now we see that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles too. It wasn't for a select few. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for kings and governors and high society, wealthy people, famous people, a select few. No, the Jews were amazed 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles too. How did they know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? How could they tell that these Gentiles... Let's, let's begin in Acts 10.44 and read it from the New King James. While Peter was still speaking, in other words, he was ministering the gospel in the home of Cornelius. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, these are the Jews, who believed were astonished. In other words, they were Christian Jews. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For, how did they know the gift was poured out? For, let's read this together. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, but we're not going on. So when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, there are supernatural languages, supernatural utterances that are granted to you. Why? So you can communicate with heaven through the Spirit. See, we're not living a natural life. We're living a supernatural life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when people ask me, can I be filled? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't want those tongues. Let me just tell you, this is a gift from heaven. God designed the gift. And the gift from heaven, the Holy Spirit, that our bridegroom has sent to be with us to the end so that we may be encouraged, beautified, strengthened, we know we're loved, we're strong during our years here upon the earth. Included in that gift is speaking with tongues. See, man does not design the gift, God designed the gift. Speaking with other tongues grants us supernatural communication with heaven through the Holy Spirit. It is very clear from scriptures. That when the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out, we hear something. Oh, I'm, I'm, I received when I was prayed for, but I'm just quiet about it. No, we're going to hear something out of you. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, see church, don't resist the gift. Don't refuse the gift. Speaking in other tongues is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear something. What are we going to hear? Well, by faith, we speak in other tongues. Now, I, I can remember the day that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just got kidogo sana. I just got a few words, but I went home and I just kept repeating 
those words. And do you know, within a couple of days, it was flowing. It was flowing. Rivers of living water. As we're promised in John chapter 7, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But that spake he of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Which had not yet been given. Hallelujah. So speaking in other tongues has to do with the wonders of rivers of living water. What is this living water? It's heavenly water. It's the heavenly Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often referred to in Scripture as outpouring, as in related to water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is the promise of the Father. Church, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, ha is having an active, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a gift from our bridegroom, Jesus, to each and every believer. It's for every believer. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what your background is. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are eligible for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who are we to refuse and despise any part of the gift that the Father is giving us. Contained in the baptism of the Holy Spirit are many supernatural expressions that will come forth through praying in other tongues. Can you say amen? Amen.